If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Welcome back to Live Wild Podcast. Now, I'm not sure if you guys know this or not, but this week is episode 100, which means that there's a hundred ways that we've helped make you a better hunter. And I really just want to say personally, thank you to all of you out there that listen to support the podcast. I really do appreciate it. All of you that have left a comment or a rating, I really appreciate that. I, I love going through the comments and reading some of them. So on episode 100, I'm just going to read a couple of these before we jump into the podcast. Uh, This one says, so good. I've been hunting big game for years in the West, and I often find Remy telling stories or talking about tactics that I've witnessed firsthand, often messing the situation up or just not understanding why the scenario played out like it did and heard him give the answer on elk month or early season mule deer hunting. I've thoroughly enjoyed the advice on getting new hunters out or bringing kids out for the first hunt. The Christmas episode from 2022 is one of my favorites with Tim Montana's song, I'm Still Waiting to Be Released. I've done the Q&As. I'm always getting sound advice. Remy always points me in the right direction. And I truly believe that listening to this has made me a better hunter. Thumbs up all around. Look forward to listening to more before the elk start bugling. Another one reads, untouchable. There's nothing that I could say that would not be an understatement. This podcast will change the way you look at hunting opportunities, miscellaneous scenarios, easy and boots on the ground scouting. Awesome for planning hunts. Thank you so much, Remy. Keep it up. And this one may be a personal favorite. It says, Live Wild. Best hunting podcast can take you from being a fingers crossed road hunter to a cool as a cucumber mountain man. Thank you guys so much for all those kind words. You know, everybody that listens in, supports this podcast, sends me messages throughout the year, shares it on their social media. 
it means a lot to me. You know, it's one of the things that, you know, I, I do try to put a lot of time into this podcast and I want it to be a valuable resource for those of you out there, whether you're a hunter that hunts as many days as possible, gets out there and, and just gets after it every year or a guy that's just getting into it. I think that if you dive into this podcast, I want it to be a place where you can learn and, and essentially be more successful at whatever level you're at. So thank you guys so much for all the support over the past, uh, I guess, over a year that we've been doing this. It just means, it really does mean a lot to me that uh, we do have so much support for the podcast and it's what keeps me doing it. You know, I think it's, when you think about anything that you do in your life, something takes time away from something else. And as long as people are finding value like you guys do, I want to continue to do it. So thank you guys for keeping the podcast going strong and, and I really appreciate it. You know, this time of year, it depends where you're at, but for most of the places out West, temperatures are starting to drop. And if you have a remaining hunt, that adds an added element to the adventure, the cold. And when the temperature was really plummet, it can be very difficult, especially if you're camping, but a few late season tips will keep your head in the game, your hands warm and your water liquid. This week, I'm going to cover some of those cold weather hunting camp secrets. You know, last week I, I talked about this muzzleloader deer hunt that I was going to be going on. And, and so I ended up going on a late muzzleloader tag with a good buddy of mine for mule deer. We both had tags in our pocket with high hopes of pulling a really good buck out of the hunt. And while the hunt on the temperatures hit below zero, it added an additional challenge to the hunt as we struggled to turn up the type of deer we were hoping for. So this week, I want to share the story of last week's hunt that I'm calling The Buck in Overtime. You know, this year has been an interesting year for mule deer, to say the least. And one of the things that I... Uh, I, I'm sure you guys know I've talked about it a lot. One of the things that I love to chase is is mule deer, and I like to look for good bucks. And if I get a good tag, that just gets me even more excited. Well, I have a good tag and a late season hunt. A buddy of mine and I both had muzzleloader tags for mule deer. And so I was really excited to get out on this hunt. Now, one of the things about this year, the rut for mule deer just seemed, the places that I'd been, people that I'd talked to, it was just something off about it. It was a lot warmer than years in the past, which I think played into it. There's, I don't know, it seemed like full moon at a weird time. But it almost seemed like from the places that I was hunting, it was like small bucks were running the group. And it, I was just waiting for the mature deer to start showing up. And in different places, different states that I was at, it kind of seemed to be the same sounding bells, like little deer... <laughs> immature bucks taking the hurt group but what always happens is the bigger bucks start to come out of the woodwork and take over those groups of does and and really lead the charge for some reason this year seemed like that wasn't really happening yet and so my hypothesis was that in many places there was a, a harder winter you know body condition plays a lot into the cycling of a doe so they go and they have to be at kind of a certain body condition to know that okay they can be bred and will successfully have a fawn well with a hard winter you know body conditions weaken but sometimes what you get after a hard winter is a really lush spring which includes a lot of growth of forbs and other things that 
deer eat. And so that new growth has added nutrition and they kind of make it up, but maybe they're making it up a little bit later. And my thought was, well, maybe it's pushing the peak of the rut back or the way that the rutting activity is going. And you might think like, oh, all the mature deer died off, but that wouldn't be the case in many of the scenarios or places I've been because I previously during the summer scouted or had, you know, knowledge of deer that were existing in the unit that were of that caliber they were looking for. And then again, not every place out West was hit by the hard winter. So I don't know, just some throwing out some hypotheses. But one thing that I was excited about for this hunt was it felt like the rut was going to be a little bit later. And I'd talked to people that were in the unit earlier and in an earlier archery season, right before our tag. And they just hadn't seen like kind of the same thing was going on. Hadn't seen the big mature bucks. They'd seen some decent bucks, but nothing, you know, nothing of that next age class. And so, you know, going into the hunt, we're like, all right, it's been warm, uh, but I think we're going to hit it just right because the day that we left, it snowed. And it's like the weather went from that warm to just dropping temperatures, dumping snow. Everything seemed perfect. So we head out on the hunt, planning on going into an area that my buddy Josh had scouted and seen some really good deer early in the season, like during August but just some absolutely great bucks that definitely would be excited to take. And, you know, I, th I think kind of the plan going in, we just had this, this thought in our mind of like the type of deer that we're looking for. I, I've, I like to be picky when it comes to chasing mule deer if I've, if I've got a decent tag. And I, I was looking for a, a mature buck probably in that like 175, actually more like 180 type range. This is what's in my mind going into the hunt, just so you kind of get an idea of like the caliber that is potential, right? So we get out on the hunt and the first day it's very cold. So that first night, it's like we get in, the snow hit, and then those temperatures start to drop and not just in the freezing range, but below zero type range. Everything that we have is just for freezing solid, even stuff in the coolers. It's like water bottles frozen solid. I mean, I had some like, cheese and other stuff in my cooler and it was just frozen solid everything just froze it was it was absolutely freezing cold out our plan was we had a set up a base camp that first night and then our plan was to kind of hunt from the centralized camp we had a couple other buddies show up and and give us a hand so our buddy dan our buddy blake came and then my buddy Nico came to film for a couple of days as well for the first part of the hunt. And then my plan was to just kind of self-film and then self-film and then, you know, maybe film Josh trying to take a buck as well. Because the one thing about the hunt is my buddy Josh and I, had, you know, it's like as time goes on, we, we get to do a, a hunt every couple of years or whatever. And he actually hasn't drawn a mule deer tag in quite a while. So it's been a while since he's hunted mule deer and so I, I really wanted him to to take a buck and he was definitely not going to be as picky as I was we were just going to kind of feel it out see what was around and then he's kind of going to you know look for a, a nice mature four point or or what you know best buck we could find so first day out cold temperatures nasty weather and this particular area you know you kind of just have to play the unit based off of the most effective tactic this area just had roads all over. And so really one of the best tactics was to just 
kind of cover country, or at least what I like to do, especially when I go into an area, is cover country and just glass, glass, glass. Cover as much, as many miles as possible with whatever means necessary. So driving to glassing vantages, covering it with our optics, just glassing, covering as much country as possible to figure out where are the concentrations of deer because this late it's you get some rut you also get some migration so there's going to be a concentration of deer somewhere first day i didn't really see the type of country that i was hoping for and then we ended up mid-morning kind of getting up in a higher elevation and it was more of that manzanita aspen type country because it was you know it was a higher elevation which most years deer would probably be way out of there because there'd be too much snow but just having a, a new fresh snow and those temperatures dropping, sure enough, there was bucks and deer kind of in interspersed in, in that country. So we looked around and we just did not see, we saw deer, we saw does, we saw a lot of weird deer, like one horn bucks, and young bucks. And the best deer we saw, like the most mature deer we saw was actually busted antler, busted his main beam off. And so we we just, you know, continued to hunt that day and checked some other spots and it was like there was only deer in one small pocket and there was quite a few deer there but no deer anywhere else so we decided to try to find other pockets like that pocket where the deer were the next day so we go to another spot that was like similar country and turned up no deer we saw a lot of elk not a lot of deer so it just started to kind of be like okay we're either in the wrong spot or it's just something's not lining up so the the third day we decided to go completely different head south in the unit just about a, a completely like just switch it up but we get down there think about late season hunts you just got to have that visibility we're in dense fog so we end up going up higher on the mountain busting through the fog and then we've got some glassing so we're doing some glassing and still just there was tr- it was like we saw tracks but no deer uh, an incredible amount of tracks but just no deer so it's like all right well we've spent two days seeing no deer we're gonna go back i think it was that night we went back to the spot where we started to see deer and, and turned up some bucks in that one pocket it's like all right this entire unit there's deer in one pocket this doesn't make any sense so we, we hunted that little pocket there and didn't see any really good bucks but it just gave us you know a, a spot to hunt and, and start turning up you know, some different deer that we didn't see the first day we were in there. So next morning we decided, all right, I'll, I'll, Josh and I, were going to go in there and maybe see if we can find something to chase. And some of the other guys were going to split up and, and look in different areas just to see if we could figure out where the heck these deer are because there's a lot of deer that we're missing. So Josh and I get in there and we end up spotting a, a nice four-point that Josh wanted to stock. So we stock in, make a plan, get into position like 70 yards away, and unfortunately there's just one of those wind swirling like with this the way that the weather was moving in the wind was consistent but as soon as we get within position to get set up the wind swirls the does start to blow out the buck stops at 80 yards but just too much brush in the way no shot so so then we hunt the rest of the day no more opportunities uh we were hoping to refine that buck and he just kind of gave us the slip so then we made a decision all right i was gonna split up and go off they were gonna continue to hunt that area and i was just gonna go on a mission to figure out where the heck the deer were so i kind of took like a spike camp with me 
and just went off into a different part of the unit that morning, started to turn up a lot of does. And it was kind of the same thing. Like everybody I knew that was in there was seeing the same thing. It's like, we're seeing deer, but we are not seeing that next level of buck. So, you know, it's like you can have everything right. Good week, good weather, good tag, whatever. And still it can be a tough hunt. Well, it depends what you're looking for too. So that next day I, I got into an area and just start, I turned up a lot of deer. I probably saw two or 300 deer, which is a lot of deer, but most of them does. I think by the end of the day, I turned up one decent buck. It wasn't anything crazy big, but it was, you know, the best buck that I'd seen so far. Deep forks, a little bit past his years, probably in the high 160s, maybe 170 because I had really long beams type buck. And I thought, well, I'm filming it. I was like, well, if I can get really good video and like just get in and get a good shot, I, I think I'll take this deer because it's the best deer that we'd seen by far. And we we're kind of running out of time on the hunt. So I snuck in. It's one of those deals where I'm setting up the camera, trying to get the camera all dialed in. And I've got a new setup where I got this like long, bigger lens. So normally, I don't know if you're familiar with cameras, it's kind of like different magnifications in the lenses. So the one that I normally carry on when I'm solo hunting is a 24 to 240. So it's very versatile. You can zoom out and zoom in. But I got this like big, really nice lens that I've been using for other stuff. It's like a really good wildlife photography lens. It's 200 to 600. So I can really punch in and get that really nice footage. Well, I decided to bring that lens on the stock and then I've got this big tripod for it and just... It's very cumbersome to sneak in on deer with. <laughs> I should have just gone with my tried and true setup. By the time I got everything set up, I could have just snuck in there and shot the deer. I'm very confident with that. I could have at least got a shot. I was 55 yards away. But the camera setup just delayed it. And and anyways, the buck moved off. I snuck back in later that evening on him because I relocated him. And then kind of the same deal. It's like I got into position, but there were so many does around talking just i mean this there's just a lot of does so many does around that i wasn't able to both get the camera set up and get a shot so you moved off so i i camped out there that night and um, the guys ended up meeting me the next morning and we went back in there and started to turn up a lot of deer josh got another stock in but didn't didn't work out and so i think we had one more day after that and the plan was just kind of hunt that same area and, and the same thing kind of happened just i never turned up a buck that i was looking for and i think josh might have done a stock but didn't pan out so that was it that was the hunt right it's like all right i had to be back and the hunt was over but the season is still open so you know i told josh i was like all right well man i had something i had to do i was actually planning on going and getting idaho deer tag for the next season or elk tag but uh, I'm like, yeah, man, I don't know. It's like you're on a hunt. Do I just mess up my last day trying to go to get somewhere where I can get service to try to get an elk or deer tag for the next year or do I just hunt? You know, and that was the decision was, all right, let's go into overtime, man. Instead, I'm not going to leave this morning. You know, everyone else that was helping us out ended up having to take off. But I'm like, all right, let's go out. I just feel like we're we're in the zone now. I don't necessarily know if the mature deer, I don't know what the 
big bucks are doing. I we couldn't turn. I mean, I hunted my ass off. I'm telling you what, like just doing everything that I knew possible to find a big buck, and it could not turn up a big buck. Maybe it was just a matter of needing more time, but you know, we're in there a little over a week, and just couldn't turn up even a a, a good buck. So we're like, all right. So we go back out the next day, and it's like. We're on our way. I'm like, let's hunt this on the way out. And I think we'll see what we can do. Go out and get into position. And the night, the day before, sorry, I'd spotted five miles away a buck on this mountain. I thought, man, it had a decent frame. Let's go check it out. So we started there and about mid-morning. Oh, well, we were a little late getting into the spot because, of course, like (laughs) going, driving down. I got, I'm towing a, a vehicle and I got my truck and, just got a flat tire in my truck. So by the time I get all the stuff out, plug the tire, get there, we ended up getting there a little late. And I'm like, I bet you this flat tire probably kills us a buck, you know? It's like maybe we just got, sometimes you got to just get put right back on track. Things happen. So we get in there and, and sure enough, spot a decent buck. It was actually like within, I don't even know, probably a hundred yards of where I'd spotted it from four miles away. There was a couple extra does in with him, and so he was bedded. I'm like, all right, it was, a, it was a decent four point, and I really wanted Josh to be able to take a buck. So I was like, all right, man, make this, make the stock. So I sat back and watched, and I actually just filmed with my camera that long lens, that big lens that messed up my hand was really nice for filming other people at distance because I could punch in pretty good. I was sat probably about 800 yards away, and he snuck in, and as he's moving into the tree that we planned on. He gets in there and the deer had actually, it was actually just perfect because I don't, it would have been pretty close if he just popped over. The deer started feeding out and up the mountain and the buck's kind of doing his ready thing, pushing a little bit and feeding. And Josh gets to the position and looks and doesn't see the deer. So I see him binoing me and I put my arms straight up above my head, signaling above you. And he starts to work his way to the next tree up. And I see him get down, get his shooting sticks ready. This is all it's a muzzleloader hunt. So it's open sites uh, where we're at. You can't use scopes or any kind of optical enhancement or anything like that. So open sites. So we want the shots within that hundred yard range. And I'm looking, I'm like trying to range him and the deer. And I'm like, he's within that zone. He's, he's within the shooting range. So he gets set up and sure enough, all the does filter out from his position. He couldn't see the whole hill. Like I could, I had a really good advantage of seeing everything he could just see the does moving through and then the buck moved through his opening and buck stopped and he made a perfect shot. Buck ran off and fell over and it was like, I can't remember how far it was, but it was just perfect shot. So, you know, we're successful in overtime. It was awesome because we kind of were, were reminiscing about the last time we hunted in this area. He actually had an elk tag and it was funny because on that elk hunt, I was guiding in Montana and I called him, I was driving home with my brother and back to Nevada and I called him and I'm like, how'd the elk hunt go? And he's like, oh man, like I just, he put in a lot of time and just ran out of time and had driven back that day. I was like, well, I'll tell you what. I said, I'm headed back through, like meet me, I'll, we'll go out. <laughs> and uh, he's like, all right, he turned around, he'd just driven like six or eight hours or whatever to get back home and I'm driving and I just drove past the area as well. And uh, we meet up. I jump, my brother takes the vehicle home and I jump in with him. 
we go out. I actually forgot my boots. I think we like pulled off at a Walmart at one in the morning and I bought like some steel toed garbage boots because I had like no shoes. I think I had like flip flops. Uh, I was like, I need some shoes to hunt in. And so we, uh, we go out and like literally it was the last day of the season, I think. And I spot a, a group of elk and we sneak in and he kills a nice six point bull. And that was his first elk. And it was awesome. It was just like an elk in overtime and, you know, to, to shoot a buck in the same unit in essentially the same situation. Like, all right, one extra day. Sometimes you just need that extra day. And we got a buck in overtime. It was awesome. One of the things about late season hunting is when those temperatures dip well below freezing and even just around freezing, but when they hit that zero sub zero temperatures Fahrenheit, it is a very cold hunt and can be quite uncomfortable. And you run into certain problems that you don't encounter on other hunts. So what we're going to do this week is just talk about, especially while it's fresh in my mind, some of the things that we encounter on those hunts and then ways that we I remedy some of the problems on a hunt like that where the temperatures do get cold. And this can be whether you're base camp hunting or whether you're backcountry hunting, you know, you, you deal with them in a little bit different ways, but there's just a few little tips and tricks that make the hunt more comfortable and, you know, can be even like a safety uh, issue as well. So one of the problems that you run into when it's really cold is all your water freezes, whether you're backcountry hunting, whether you're yeah, based out of a, a camp that you can drive to, your water freezes. I, on this hunt, we had our, generally we put our water in an insulated cooler to keep it from freezing. You know, insulated coolers are really good at keeping things cold, but they also keep things warm. So it just is a, is a more regulated temperature in there. It was so cold, our water was freezing solid in our coolers. Like if you took a bottle of water out that was warm, it would essentially freeze, start to freeze in a matter of minutes, it seemed like, outside. So one of the things that I do a lot is you got to try to find a way to make whatever's insulated warmer. So if you're at a base camp, the best way to do this is to boil some water, pour it in a bottle, and then put that boiling water bottle in your cooler. It just kind of acts as a heater, and then it starts to insulate and trap that heat and fight against that cold air that's coming in. It warms up the cooler in a way and then starts to help insulate what else is in the cooler. Another option is like if you're in a vehicle, like put it in the back of your truck, the cooler in the back of your truck. So it has some form of conditioned air that's not just the outside. So, you know, or, or in the cab of your truck where you could kind of run a heater. Maybe if you're driving around, you could have the heater going so it keeps the cooler warm. And then you've got something warm in the cooler to kind of keep the water's in there from freezing at night. Now, when you're out on the mountain, one of the things that I always do on a late season hunt, and I've talked about this before when we talked about backcountry late season tactics, was I actually carry an insulated Yeti thermos style. You know, the nice thing about those insulated Yeti water bottles is the fact that it does the same thing, right? You can put warmer water in it or hot water or even boiling water in it, and it keeps it from freezing throughout the day because there's if I if you just put in a normal water bottle by the time 
it's mid-morning, your water's frozen solid. It seems like it's a lot harder to drink water when it's really cold like that, but that's not what you need. You actually still need to consume an amount of water, especially if you're sweating, hiking, going after something. It's like late season hunts. You almost get this like hiking. I get these like dizzy hiking headaches from just not having enough water. And so you get very dehydrated on cold hunts, but by, you know, managing your water in a way where you can keep it from freezing. And then when your water does freeze, you know, using your whatever you got, MSR stove, jet boil, whatever, to heat the water up is a really good way to kind of manage your water. And I actually carry my stove with me. If there's snow on the ground, I'll even bring like, I use the MSR in my pack, like my when I'm hiking around. If, I, if I'm not like staying overnight, if I'm overnighting, I'll use my MSR or whatever. I might even keep that. I've got like a, what is it there? I can't remember which one it is, but you know, like a jet boil style MSR pot or your jet boil, whatever. You know, whatever you got, keep with you. I generally take my like lighter one and then a, a cup and I could always melt snow with that. And sometimes I'll even just scoop some snow, boil it up and then pour that boiling water into my bottle that's already frozen to kind of start melting some of the water that's in my bottle already. Now, another problem that you encounter a lot when it's really cold is okay, we're talking about, it's like, well, you got to, you can boil water. Well, that fuel, even that four season fuel, when it's really cold out, it acts weird. It's very slow to go. It's like I was using four season fuel and you put it in your burner or whatever. And it just is, takes forever to boil water. I mean, just forever. Well, the problem is, is the fuel is cold. So the solution is what I'll do is I, I start to boil my water, you know, get the water hot. And it takes a little bit of time, starts to get the water warm. It doesn't even have to be that warm. Then what I'll do is I'll take the canister, my fuel canister, and I'll set the bottom of it in the water that I just warmed. And what that does is that warms up the fuel enough to where then it starts cranking. And then I put the water back on and it boils like normal. Another option would be if you had a, a way to keep your fuel warm, you know, any, any way that you can keep warm. I don't suggest like warming it up by the fire though. It's <laughs> not, not advised. Uh, so that, that little water trick works really well where you just get some warm water and then you use that to, to warm up the fuel. And then that allows your warmer fuel to work better and boil everything faster. You could use a hand warmer or something else like that as well. But for the most part, you know, being able to warm that fuel up. So like if you're, if you're driving around, you can heat up your truck and leave it in the cab or something like that. But if you aren't, or you're camped, I mean, even we had vehicles around, but by the time you warm it up in a vehicle, you could have just had it going, dipped it in the warm water and been on your way. Another thing about hunting in the cold is, you know, when you're camping, it's cold. It's cold when you get dressed. It's cold when you're sleeping. Once you get that chill, once you get that shiver, once you start to get really cold, it's, it's a lot harder to warm up. You know, there's something that I do and, you know, I think people could debate it either way, right? You know, it's like, oh, the sleeping bag is made to insulate and all this stuff and it uses your body heat. When it's really cold, there's a few things that make it hard, right? Is getting up and putting on cold clothes because your clothes are so cold that it starts to chill you right away in the morning. Half the time in really cold temperatures, I just sleep in my clothes. And that's 
the way that I've always done it. I just crawl, like I literally had three layers on and crawled into my bag. Whatever I was wearing that day, I just crawled into my sleeping bag and went to bed. And my gloves and other things, whatever I wasn't wearing, maybe it was too bulky. Like I had one jacket and I just kind of stuffed that in my bag with me in a certain part. And, you know, you start to heat up the air around it, but it warms your clothes up and keeps those clothes warm. So when I throw them on in the morning or I'm already in them, my clothes are at a temperature where it's not going from warm to like real cold and getting that shiver going right away. You know, when you get in your bag and you've got your clothes all laying out and it's really cold out, it's like that your clothes start to freeze, especially if they're wet a little bit. So this way, we talked about it before where your your bag kind of acts as a, a dehumidifier that pulls the moisture in from the heat of your body off your clothes. You don't want to take a semi, it's hard, sometimes you don't even notice that it's damp. You've been walking around in your jacket and you throw your jacket in your tent and you climb into your sleeping bag and you wake up and your jacket's frozen solid. And like, that's not a great way to start the day. So, you know, sleeping in your clothes is a good option or you're putting your clothes in your bag in a way that your your body heat will still dissipate the moisture and, and keep your stuff warm. And gloves especially, I'll throw my gloves in my bag as well somewhere where it's you know a little bit out of the way and and hopefully warm them up so when I put them on in the morning I'm, I'm ready to go and I, I tend to maintain that warmth a lot longer now when it comes to sleeping in the cold that's another thing every morning we woke up it's like wherever there was moisture it's like ice just covered the outside of the sleeping bag and some people you know it's like there's a rating on a sleeping bag, which you got a zero degree bag and that will keep you alive and that temperature doesn't mean that it's going to be comfortable. There's also a comfort rating. And sometimes even in that zero degree temperature, a zero degree bag isn't that comfortable. So if you've got a base camp, sometimes I'll just like double, I call it double down. I'll just do two sleeping bags, a sleeping bag and a sleeping bag. If you've got like a good base camp sleeping bag, like a fleece lined one or something like that, that's great. And then I throw my down bag in that. You don't really want to kill the loft on your down, but having something where maybe you could lay on top of it and block the cold from the ground, that's another good option. Just having anything that helps insulate from that cold below is really good. And if you've got two thick down sleeping bags, you know, go ahead and stack them. I've done it and I did it and it, I was more than comfortable. You know, another thing you want to think about too is just when it's really cold, you know, the worst is well, one of the guys camping with us hadn't really been camping in some cold weather like that. And every morning he's like, oh man, I was freezing after this. And I was like, oh yeah, well, this is what I do. He's like, dang it. This is the first one. I was like, yeah, I just slept in my clothes. I didn't even deal with that. He's like, dang it, I should have thought of that. And I'm like, yeah. And then the next day he's like, did that. He's like, man, everything was fine, but my eyes just felt like they were freezing. It's like, well, when I get in my bag, I cinch it up pretty tight and I leave a little hole. Now the thing I can, I've slept so many times in a mummy bag or sleeping bag that I'll pretty much just sleep with my arms crossed, legs crossed, not move. Some people get super claustrophobic like that. I'm like, not me. I can, I'll do it. It's way more comfortable than being cold. So um, I'll cinch that bag opening up pretty small. And then I wear a beanie when I sleep. Sometimes I'll even throw my hood up if I have to. And then I'll turn on my side and face the wall of the sleeping bag. I don't like that suffocation. You know, you kind of want that airflow going. You don't want to feel that suffocation wakes you up. It probably wakes you up because you can't breathe. But <laughs> turn sideways and leave that hole above my head so the beanie and whatever is not 
my the side of my face isn't being accessed directly by that cold air. And the part of my face that I'm not covering is breathing in and in toward the sleeping bag, if you can picture that. And that heat exchange of my breath kind of keeps my face warm. And then the cold air coming in, you know, hits the insulated portion of the beanie that's over my ears and everything else like that. So I end up sleeping really well and staying really warm. And that's really good. When it's really cold and you can say, yeah, I mean, I'm in a tent and I'm sleeping and I'm very warm. That's a success. Now, another little trick that I use a lot, and if you're in your tent or whatever, you know, having something warm in your sleeping bag helps as well. Maybe you've got a sleeping bag, you're like, I don't have two bags. I got one bag and I'm freezing in it. You know, bringing something warm in there to just warm the air up around you to get that bag going, like to create a, a level for it. Hand warmers work really well. Toe warmers work really well. I'm talking about those kind of just like disposable. What's the company that makes them? I use them all the hot hands or something like that. You just, you know, open it up and throw it in the foot of your sleeping bag or bring it in those the super body warmers. You get like the mix pack. They have toe warmers, hand warmers, and body like super warmers. Do those things almost make it too hot where you kind of have to regulate it a little bit. So you just start to get cooking in there. That works really well. If you don't have those, or you're going lightweight, boiling some water, putting it in your yonder bottle or your Yeti bottle, your non-insulated bottle, and make just make sure it's sealed tight. And then put it in there and that heat from that hot water starts to warm up everything as well. During the day, like when it's really cold, even when it's not really cold, I use them a lot. I'm a big fan of hand warmers, toe warmers. I know there's like electric socks and all this stuff now. And I've, I was looking at... Chris Denham and some other guys from Western Hunter just did an article. I just got the magazine in the mail yesterday and I saw they did some reviews on heated gear, like heated jackets, heated socks, heated gloves. I've seen like a couple of our clients that we guide showed up with some of that stuff this year. It seems to be more popular and I definitely think that's the way of the future in some of this real late season gear. I just haven't really adopted it yet and not because I am against it or anything like that. I just don't have it and haven't really tried it yet. There is, I mean, I did back in the day, but I don't think it was where it is now. I just with batteries and stuff like that. My systems always worked with these disposable type hand warmers. So that's what I use currently, but it works really well. And, and first thing I do, cause you know, your boots, if you don't sleep in your bag with your boots, which is not, I would say I've had to do that before, but I don't like to do that. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, your feet get cold in the morning. So I'll throw some foot warmers in right away. And then I put some hand warmers in my gloves right away. And I'm ready. I'm ready to rock and roll. It's like you can really survive some pretty cold stuff very comfortably. Think about being, there's stuff you can survive and be very uncomfortable. Or you can do the same thing and be very comfortable. And when you're comfortable, the thing that it does is it allows you to focus on the tasks of hunting more than focusing on keeping your body warm and and that's kind of what it's about is is finding a level of comfort where you can still hunt hard and you know by doing a few little tricks here and there it really helps you know my dressing system i still i, I like to use thick base layers merino base layers and then i insulate with down and then i add a layer of heat trapping slash wind blocking with rain gear and that's my kind of go-to setup so like with the first light stuff i've got the kiln top and then furnace base which is their thickest 
base layer. So I mean, there I've got like a furnace top layer as well, but that's almost too hot. And then I do a down jacket of some kind and then an outer rain outer layer. And then I actually had their Unk Foundry. It was a 2.0. It's an insulated puffer type jacket. You know, I, I think like with that and then even just a lighter down underneath in the when it was zero degrees and the wind was blowing or whatever, it's like 20 below with wind chill. That helped. And I still had my hand warmers and my gloves. One of the things that I also suggest when it comes to like cold weather gear is have gloves and backup gloves. That's the one thing that gets you is like you take your glove off or you, I don't know how I lost a really good, I had like a leather insulated glove and um, dang it, I lost one of them. You know, it's like, well, I'm glad I have two pairs of gloves. One thing I will suggest as well is if you know it's going to be real cold, have a pair of mitts and have a pair of gloves. The nice thing about mitts is it keeps your fingers together and it's a lot warmer. It keeps one finger from getting too cold. You know, as a person that's had frostbite in certain toes and other things, you just don't want or frost nip at least in, in a lot of places. You don't, it just gets cold a lot easier after that. It takes a long time to, to recover if it, as long as you haven't like completely, you know, killed it all the tissue off. You will recover, but it takes a while. You know, so having, you know, mitts like that where you can put a hand warmer in there and keep those fingers together and warm is really good. And then it keeps you glassing longer because you can hold the cold glass and you've got that hand warmer between the cold glass and your gloves and your, your hands are staying warm, you're glassing, you're picking the mountain apart and you're hunting hard. One other trick that I adopt when it comes to winter weather hunting and when it comes to winter weather hunting, sometimes your pack's a little bit heavier, but I choose gear that's based off of, you know, more successful hunting and maybe just a little bit more weight. One of those things that I do is I, I try to, I've got a lightweight backpacking tripod that I take on 99% of my hunts. But when it gets to be later season, I actually have a tripod that's taller and a little heavier duty that I carry around, especially if I'm day hunting, that late season, because it's a lot easier and steadier to glass while standing. And the reason that I do glass while standing when it's really cold is I can move my feet around and still be focusing in the glass. When I'm sitting, it's a lot harder. You, you kind of like start to cut circulation off to your legs and not everything, things start to fall asleep and you get really cold. And then you sit down and you, you start to freeze and you get cold and you start to shiver. It's like, well, now we got to walk when we need to be glassing. So by standing up, I can actually keep my body a lot more comfortable and a lot warmer. Also, I'm not sitting down in the snow. I even have a little pad when I do need to sit. But by carrying that larger size tripod, I can glass super effective standing up and not have to sit down in the snow, Not maybe not even have to take my pack off. I often do, I will take my pack off. But like you just, it's a lot more comfortable to stay warm and glass longer when I can just set it up while standing. And so that's something that I do on late season hunts. Another little thing and just a safety thing that I do is you, you definitely, whatever your fire starter is, you want to have fire starter and an alternate form of fire starter. So if you carry a lighter, I always, I'm like a classic Bic lighter kind of guy, you know, just get them at any gas station and whatever. That's, I always have one on me. Keep it close to your body. You got to keep it warm, just like the fuel in your fuel canister for boiling water or anything like that. You want to keep the lighter close to your body so 
it works, but also having some alternate form, you know, whether it's a, a striker, whether it's a matches, something, some other form other than a lighter, if a lighter is one thing, or if you carry matches, carry another form of fire starter because you may need it to save your life and you definitely want to be able to get to that and then have some kind of something to assist in fire starting. I have some kind of something to start a fire with and then fire starter itself just to help you build a fire when it's wet, cold, when things aren't working right, when you're tired and you just need to fire fast. Uh, having something that burns really easy is super handy. Another thing about cold weather hunting, you know, we, we rely on a lot of technology for the most part, you know, whether it's cameras, whether you've got your phone and your maps are on your phone, a GPS and in reach, whatever. When it gets really cold, your batteries get zapped. That's another thing that I do is I try to keep my batteries warm. That Especially at nighttime, it's more like I'll put them in my sleeping bag with me if it's something I throw my phone in my sleeping bag just to keep everything warm. If I've got a pocket with a hand warmer, you don't want to keep your batteries too close to some of those hand warmers because they get pretty dang hot sometimes. Um, But just keeping your batteries in an inner pocket or something like that where you can kind of keep it a little bit warmer so it doesn't zap the battery and... And you just essentially go from having something that's fully charged to something that's not charged because of the cold weather. I think that the last tip that I think about is even when it's cold, when you start hiking, you start heating up. And starting out cold is okay if you know you're going to be hiking. One of the things that I do late season is I layer for walking. So when I'm moving... I want to take off certain layers. And when I stop, I want to throw those layers right back on. It's a pain. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to get soaked. I don't want to be in my insulation layer, hiking up the mountain, sweating because I've got a lot of insulation and I'm moving. Even when it's really cold, when you're walking, as long as you have your ears covered and your hands covered and something covering your skin, but you're moving, you're creating heat. And one thing you don't want to do is have that jacket trap that heat. And then you get to the top of the mountain and now you're soaking wet. Your jacket's soaking wet. You can't take it off because you'll freeze and you leave it on. You're just wet and you're cold no matter what. So you don't want to glass or it's hard to glass or might not even be safe to glass. You can put yourself in a bad situation when it's really cold, especially if you get yourself really wet. So I always say don't soak, layer for walking. And then when you stop, Throw those layers on right away. You know, start you start to feel like, oh, I'm cooling down, but you don't want to cool down too much. Once you start to feel cooling down, throw those layers on so you stay warm, warm those layers back up, do your glassing, do your thing, and then when it's time to move, undress. It's a pain in the butt, but do it. Put your stuff back in your pack and go for that walk. Hunting late season in very cold weather, sub-zero temperatures, can be difficult and uncomfortable, but with a few little tricks and things that you pick up over the years of of doing it time and time again, you really can actually make yourself pretty comfortable, fairly easy. And just remembering a few of these things, I think definitely helps aid in the comfort of the hunt. And by doing that allows you to hunt harder and smarter during what could be a really good time to be out chasing animals. I think one thing that people don't realize is when it's cold, you actually use a lot of calories just heating your body. And if you think about your body, it's running at a hot temperature. We are warm-blooded animals. And in order to keep that engine moving and that engine warm, you have to have a certain amount of fuel. And you're using it 
whether you want to or not. You could be, when you're hiking, you're burning even more. And even when you're just there sedentary glassing, you're still burning calories because your body's trying to heat itself up to keep it warm, to keep you going. That's one of the things that I think is the hardest part about late season hunts is staying hydrated and staying fueled. And so on this particular hunt, I was using a lot of the packout bars, wilderness athlete packout bars, as well as the packout bites. And I just put them in an inner pocket, keep them a little bit warmer, you know, because it's like every snack d- decides to freeze when it's that cold, but keeping it a little bit warmer and then adding drink mix, hydrate and recover to my water to just know that I'm trying to get ahead of it and stay well hydrated because it is very hard to drink enough water late season. Like I know that I didn't drink enough water this last trip. I was fairly dehydrated and running on that dehydration level, but I was including electrolytes and other things. So the water that I was getting was like a little more beneficial because it's very hard to kind of maintain your water consumption. It's hard to want to drink water when it's cold, but one thing that I will do is I'll, I'll heat up some water and pour my hydrate and recover in that warm water and makes it like almost like a energy tea kind of thing going on where it's a little bit easier to drink when it's warm and it's not so cold because it's hard to want to drink water when it's freezing out. It's like the last thing you want to do is put cold water in your body and, and cool down your core, right? It just doesn't seem appealing. But uh, there are other times where you just you're like, man, I really need to keep that energy level up, that hydration up. And that's really important. You know, I've talked about their stuff a lot. They've been an awesome supporter of this podcast and I've been using their stuff for way before this podcast, like just used it forever. As always, you guys can use code LiveWild, get a discount if you want to try some of this stuff this this season, this late season. We also have some Live Wild packs on there that are discounted where it's got a little bit of everything from nutrition stuff when you're at home training through stuff you can take into the field. So that's something to think about if you guys are interested. Another thing is I've got my Live Wild Spice Company, something that I've alluded to in the past and done pre-sales and other things. Those are shipping. You know, I haven't really talked about it a lot. Probably should talk about it more, but, you know, getting it off the ground has been kind of an adventure of its own. You know, one of the things that I kind of think about is, you know, as a hunter, we spend all this time like hunting hard, getting out there, grinding. We bring home some meat and then it's like the best meat on the planet, in my opinion, at least the best for you. And to me, it tastes better than anything you can buy. And then it's like we coat it in spices and seasonings that are just made in, it's like factory chemical garbage, (laughs) you know, like the spice world is not very regulated for the most part. And I, I wanted to do something that was different. You know, I wanted to, to be able to go hunting and take an animal and, and then know that I'm doing the best with it for my family and myself. And just, you know, as far as that goes, but on the other side, the flip side, the flavor aspect, like there's a lot of things that I make a lot, tacos, Mexican type seasonings and, and things like that. And I continually have to make the same kind of blend I thought, well, that's just kind of how it started. It was like, I just want to make it more simple for myself. And I started making these blends for myself. And then I'm like, man, this, I think that other people would appreciate this. And so we have, I got the launch started with the Heritage Series, which is my carne cazador. It's a taco seasoning, but I use it for dang near everything. Like I will make chili with that. I will make 
If I'm making slow cooking meat, I coat it with that. A lot of the things you've seen me cook over the years, I'm using essentially this carne cazador seasoning, whether it was labeled that or not, is pretty much what it's become. So that that's, I think that's my favorite. And then, I don't know, it's hard to say though. And then we got the Bizarre Barbecue, which if you think about like, what's Bizarre Barbecue? I wanted something that kind of mimicked and, and I wanted it twofold because I wanted to be able, something that mimicked teriyaki jerk. Like you can make a, a really good like teriyaki style jerky, but also really good kind of barbecue flavor as well as maybe something that goes well in Asian dishes or or other things. It's got a ginger flavor. It's got a little bit of spice. It's got a lot of awesome things going for it. It's very unique. It's like a barbecue, but pretty bizarre. So I like to call it bizarre barbecue. And it, it was kind of inspired when I was in Kyrgyzstan hunting sheep and there was the seasoning that we were using and it was like one of the best meals of my life. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is this? It was all in Russian. And um, I'm like, I think I can try to recreate this at home. It just had so many awesome flavors of like this great barbecue kind of on the mountain cooking flavor. And so that's the Bizarre Barbecue one in that Heritage Series. There's no salt in that. So the reason I didn't want to put salt in that one, although it was really good, I add salt when I'm cooking with it. I wanted one in the kit where you could kind of control your own salt levels because when I'm doing jerky, I like to be very specific about the amount of salt that I'm using. And if it's already in the seasoning, then it makes it a little harder to do. So I tried to make it versatile where you could you could make a jerky, you could put it on, I, I use it on salmon a lot. I do like a, I make like a paste with it and then put it on salmon and do like a smoked salmon belly with it. It almost, it's, you got to try it. It's really good. And then we've got the Sierra Sage, which is originally my sage sausage breakfast recipe. And I would do that so much, but I also was like, this is really good on so many other things. I mix it in with a lot of stuff. That kind of hint of sage is really good in that breakfast flavor and other things. And then we've got our citrus pepper, which is kind of a do anything seasoning. It's got a little bit of that citrus flavor, but also real peppery. So if you guys are interested in that and took a little bit, want to take a little bit of time to explain those seasonings to you guys, I've got those on my website as well as our hat beanie combos, our live wild hat beanie combos go and um, it's a sale on essentially the combo of the two. I'm just going to keep that going through the end of the month for everyone that's interested. Uh, you know, I thank you guys so much for all of you that have jumped on and supported these little ventures that I'm getting into. You know, it's, it, I really do appreciate it. You know, I hope to, to bring you guys stuff that you find valuable in so many different avenues of things. It's like, tips and tactics and then when it comes to apparel and gear and spices like I really want something that we all really enjoy and so you know if you try it and you like it uh, you know let me know reach out you know feel free to share it with friends and family or put it on social media or whatever I'd love to share some of that stuff whether it be the live wild apparel whether it's the spices whatever I'm really trying to kind of build the live wild brand and and jump into things that I find valuable. I think that other people will find valuable as well. So thank you guys so much for, for all the support as we hit episode 100. You know, I I think uh, I look back at all the episodes and the ride that we've all gone on the successes and the failures, the, the learning and the, and then the just continued pushing forward and, and, and getting in and grinding and 
going the best way, not the easy way, you know, teaching you guys my hunting philosophy. And I really enjoy seeing all that success that you guys have, have shared with me. So thank you guys. Keep that coming. You guys can email that to hunt at remywarren.com, H-U-N-T at remywarren.com. I'm going to start putting some of those up on my blog, on my website. If you guys don't mind sharing it, just put a little note if you're like, if I can share it. So yeah, feel free to share this. And I, Cause I do go through them and I read them. Sometimes it takes a little bit to, I don't have the time to respond to every, cause half the time I'm reading them and like no service. So I can't like reply, but I do read, I think I've read nearly all of them now. Uh, thank you guys so much for those. Those are some awesome stories in there of, of guys just, whether it's the, some people killing their best animals, some guys taking their first elk, you just like a, a lot of some awesome stories about people taking their family out hunting. And, you know, as a, as a fairly new father and, and getting into bringing my kids out hunting and some of that, I love that stuff. It's, it's awesome to see. So keep that stuff coming guys. I really do appreciate it. Now, before we go as an additional, thank you guys for all the support for the podcast. One of the things that I love to do is give back. And if you've followed me for any amount of time, you know that around Christmas time, I like to do a few epic giveaways. So I'm bringing back my 12 days of Christmas giveaway this year. I've got a little bit easier system for figuring out how to enter and all that stuff. So you can go to my website. I've got all the ways to enter and you can do different things for different varying levels of entries into the draw. So just like a a big game draw with bonus points, the more you have, the better your odds are. I figured it'd be a fun way to to give back to you guys for listening to the podcast and doing that. So just remywarren.com, you can head over there, all the info's there. There'll be a little page just for this 12 days of Christmas giveaway. I'm going to open it up now so you can, if you want to do it all now, you can do it all now. And then you don't have to worry about daily check-ins and and playing the game that way. So there's a lot of awesome prizes. Just go check it out. I mean, there's some of my favorite gear. Uh, Somebody's going to walk home with some awesome stuff. So we'll have 12 prizes, one for each day leading up to Christmas, then a prize on Christmas Day. I hope you guys enjoy that. Thank you all so much for all the support. And I'm just going to say until next week, don't freeze. Catch you guys later.